probably remember where you were. It was March 2020, and I was sitting in a conference room in San Francisco when I got the message. The office was going to close that day. We'd be working from home indefinitely. And at first, like everyone else, I thought this was going to be temporary, maybe months at the most. But as you probably know, as I know, those months turned into years. I got Zoom fatigue. My daughter got Zoom fatigue. Everybody got Zoom fatigue. So when Dropbox told us we'd be going virtual first forever, honestly, I was ambivalent at best. I really miss my walk to work in the morning. I really miss getting dressed in nice clothes every day. So these past few years have totally shifted many of our expectations about how work gets done and where work gets done. And at Dropbox, we've thought a lot about the change. We've experimented a ton. We've tried company-wide meeting free hours every day. We've tried giving people way more flexibility in where they work and in how they work. We've tried it all. So whether you're working from home or you're commuting to the office twice a week, or if you're just remotely curious, we hope you stick around. I'm Tiffany Jones-Brown, and this is Remotely Curious, a podcast from Dropbox that asks all the questions about hybrid, remote, or as we call it, virtual-first work. We'll talk to a manners expert about the nuances of remote work etiquette. We'll interview a friendship scientist about how to stay connected to your work besties even when you're apart. And we'll dive into tricky topics like how to manage Zoom dysmorphia and handle workplace inequities. Today, we're starting with something I know I took for granted when I was working in the office. Rituals. We'll hear from author Casper Turkile about why rituals matter, and we'll even create our own ritual with a professional rituals designer, Kershat Oshink. So rituals are those small moments throughout the day that help mark time and transform what is merely habitual, say making a cup of coffee, to something truly meaningful, like savoring a moment alone before the busyness of the day sets in. At the Dropbox office, we used to have this great ritual where our brand team would meet for lunch each day at the tall white tables in our studio. It was just a time to relax, to kind of get to know each other a little better, and honestly, just to talk about something other than work. It was really special. Before the pandemic, I was working out of a lovely open concept agency, and now I'm coming to you from my 9 by 9 office in my condo. This is Mike Chu. Mike lives in Toronto, and he joined the Dropbox team as a designer right during the pandemic, and he just jumped headfirst into remote work. Mike says one of his favorite rituals was playing the card game Magic the Gathering with his coworkers over lunch. I think the thing that I miss the most about that is actually getting to know your coworkers and the people around you on an actual personal level. So you might get a snippet of someone's true personality here and there or something they're really into. But because you have to force yourself to always log into Zoom or, um, you know, put your camera face on, I feel like there's always that layer of work associated when you're communicating with someone in virtual first. It helped him be more creative throughout the day. You know, when I when I think about rituals, they seem really, that seems almost counterintuitive 
to do the same thing every day. But for me personally, it, it does really help with, with my creative thinking. So I'd be, I'd be curious as to why, that, why that's the case. After hearing all of this from Mike, I wanted to get more insight about how his situation might relate to rituals on a larger scale. So I had to call up a friend of mine, Casper Turkile, who's been thinking about rituals his entire life. What I hear in Mike's story is the discipline of committing to a certain way of getting to work, a certain order in which you do things, allowed for more creativity and more freedom in the moment when he was at work. Casper is warm and thoughtful, and he's just got this sort of charming sense of humor. He explores how we can turn everyday routines into meaningful rituals in his fantastic book, The Power of Ritual. So I thought maybe we just start with the very, very basics, if that's okay with you, um, which is just what is your definition of a ritual, like what it is and what it isn't? A ritual is a way of making the invisible visible. Often it's a patterned set of behaviors or movements or, or something that we do that communicates something that's invisible, a set of values or a set of connections that are important to us. So I like to think of ritual as a way of kind of bringing into our awareness the, the things that often live at the edges of our awareness, the things that we can forget about. And so having a ritual come back over time in a sort of repeated way is a great way that we get to focus on what matters most. So a ritual is a way of making what's most important to us more visible. So the way I think about ritual is a little bit different from a routine or a habit, which usually fulfills a very functional purpose, right? We brush our teeth, drop the kids off at the school, whatever it is. They're useful things. But what makes a ritual different is that it adds a layer of meaning. Or as scholars would talk about it, it has a symbolic value as well as a functional value. And so often what a ritual does is it doesn't just keep us where we are, but it takes us somewhere else. So maybe it's back to a memory or it takes us back to a relationship that's important or it takes us into a larger community of people who are celebrating or practicing the same ritual. And to Mike's point, committing to that community is a big part of it. One of the most interesting conversation partners in my life is a group of Catholic nuns in their 70s and 80s who have lived in community, seeking justice, deepening their spirituality for like 50 years at this point. And as women in the Catholic Church, you know, are often pushed to the margins in terms of decision making and power. And the thing I've learned from them more than anything else is their insistence that commitment equals freedom. We live in a society where choice is seen as freedom, that the more options you have, the more free you feel. So when we choose depth, that there is a, a freedom and a creativity in that choice. When we forsaken other options, there's something richer to be discovered there. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about a ritual life is that it does create boundaries for us. Casper, from your book, there are a lot of common rituals that we do that have really rich history. And I'm curious if you could maybe talk about one of those. Anthropologists tell us that we actually created ritual together before we had human language. And so gathering around food and gathering around drink are really obvious examples of where ritual came to life. One of the examples that's maybe a little bit folk wisdom, but I think is a nice illustration, is that when we clink our glasses to toast or celebrate something, um, it was a way of indicating safety because it meant that I hadn't poisoned your glass because a little of the wine or whatever was in your glass would flow into mine. And so it exposed us into a mutual 
mutual vulnerability and and therefore a community of equals. And so I, I love thinking about that moment when you're gathered around a dinner table is that we're actually doing something that human beings have done for centuries and millennia to indicate friendship and indicate peace and, and cooperation. Casper told me that feeling connected to the unique traditions in the community where he grew up inspired him to study ritual as an adult. My parents are both from Holland, which I think is the most secular country in the world at this point. And I came out as gay when I was 15. So my reaction to religion was like, screw you. You know, it was like, I was very anti-institutional religion. So growing up in England in this rural part of the country, on May Day, the 1st of May, I would get up at dawn like the rest of the village. And we would go to the clearing in the forest where we would watch the Morris dancers kind of welcome in the spring. And, you know, people would pack their hot tea and some snacks and everyone would go to the pub for breakfast afterwards. And so for me, I I was really lucky to have that experience of a very rich ritual life without it being compressed or, or, or forced onto a theological idea. And for me, it was always about connecting with beauty and community and the values that held us together as a family. Casper went to divinity school and I did too, actually, a long time ago. But while I was locked in a windowless library trying to decipher sacred texts, Casper was thinking about how religious life was changing, how young people remix old traditions in new ways. And he saw ritual making in places like CrossFit, Soul Cycle, social justice movements, recognizing those rituals as something he calls ritual spotting. And it's the first step to creating meaningful practices in your own life. People have it with all sorts of things, whether it's, a, you know, a favorite song that they play when they're like commuting or whether it's a favorite like story to tell or snuggle to have with their kids when it's bedtime or everyone took the like decompression walk during those COVID months where it was super intense, where you just needed to get outside of the house. And that kind of became a ritual to remember that there's life beyond our own kind of confinement. And so I, I think the opportunity for ritual making is all around us really every day. Yeah, as you were talking, I was thinking about how we do every Friday night a movie night and with my husband and daughter. And, you know, it started during the pandemic and it's so special, whatever it is that we're watching. My daughter just, she really looks forward to it. We're all tired at the end of the week. We just snuggle up. My husband makes popcorn and we just sit there for a couple hours. And the way that she looks forward to it, like if there is a time that we might not do it. She's, you know, bummed. And if we do it, we're all closer. And so it's very special. It feels like a sacred movie time. I think there's a lot in this example that we can look at because first of all, it's time that's set aside from the rest of time. And this is what I mean with that time travel idea, right? Like there's something shimmering about that time. And so I can just imagine how like looking forward to it because it's looking forward to that time of of possibility. Maybe a different kind of conversation is possible. So there's a sort of boundary that we create when we enter into a ritual that allows for deeper connection. It allows for new possibilities. Casper tells me that as a ritual, my movie night checks off three key boxes. So the way I think about it is threefold. First is that we need to have an intention And from what you've shared, I would hear something like, we want to spend quality time together as a family. We want to have that special moment when we all know we're going to be together. So that intention of connection is really clear. 
Second, it's about paying attention. You're not on your phone while you're watching movies and and eating popcorn, right? You're not also trying to do the cleaning while you're watching the movie half-heartedly, right? There's a real clarity of, of attention, both on the movie and towards each other. And then finally is repetition, right? You come back to this every Friday. And so that means there's a sense of knowing of what's coming and it gives a rhythm to time. It gives a rhythm to our lives, which helps us feel at home in the world. And so that intention, attention, repetition is such a helpful way of thinking about how to elevate rituals in our lives. And I I think you've done it beautifully. So you talked about the need sometimes, Casper, to reinvent or reassess rituals. Mm. When the pandemic hit for us at Dropbox and for so, so many people, all of a sudden, all the rituals and things that we did each day to ground ourselves, many of those just were completely upended. And we had to sort of overnight find new ways of getting that same job done. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if if you can say a little bit about how you think, either for you or in general, the pandemic and suddenly all of us going into this remote work situation is impacting our sense of ritual. The impact of the pandemic can't be undermined, obviously, but it had such a massive impact on the exposure to our relationships and to our daily rhythm, our weekly rhythm, the, the rhythm of a you know, the workplace, all of it was completely interrupted. So when when you have a context shift like that, it demands a creativity, which is not always easy to draw on when we're in crisis. And you saw beautiful things happen, right? I remember the kind of seven o'clock um, clapping of hands in Brooklyn, where I lived, or I think in San Francisco, there was the, the, the scream at 8pm that also happened. So, you know, whatever was you're feeling that day, you had something to uh, to participate in. But you could see there was this natural desire to still feel connected to one another, even even when we couldn't be physically together. Casper goes on to tell me about a ritual he began doing at work when everything moved online. Basically, every time a colleague had a birthday, the team would invite someone close to that person to join their Zoom call, like their mom. And everyone would tell that loved one all the reasons they loved working with their colleague. And it just became this lovely emotional ritual that the whole team would look forward to. I work in a small team, so this is not necessarily appropriate for everyone, but I do think there are opportunities to to find ways to integrate, whether it's the dog or the cat showing up on camera, getting to know each other's kids, right? There's a holistic element of a relational context that maybe was more absent before, but now feels more like we really know each other, even at a distance. This reminds me of something Mike Chu told me about his experience when he was in the office. I think the thing that I miss the most about that is actually getting to know your coworkers and the people around you on an actual personal level. It can be really tough to find meaningful and consistent ways to connect in remote work. So I met up with someone whose job it is to actually design new rituals, especially ones for the virtual world. So my name is Kirshat Ozanj. So I'm designer by education. Kershat Oshenk is the author of a very fun book called Rituals for Virtual Meetings. He's also the founder of the Ritual Design Lab at the Stanford Design School, or D-School for short. So we are right now at the Stanford D-School in the middle of the campus. It's a a beautiful day out outside. So D-School is part of the 
mechanical engineering building. And it's uh, the whole space is designed around nudging people to become more creative, using space as a way to encourage people to come up with new ideas. The D school at Stanford is kind of like an adult kindergarten. When you walk in, there's this big red bus right in the middle of the room, and it's got cushions and notepads inside for brainstorming. Everything's modular and on wheels, and there's post-its everywhere. There's a table with a swing set as seats with containers of Play-Doh on it. Everything in here is just begging you to play around. Yeah, I, uh, one of my kids is in kindergarten, so he uses the same materials as we do. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, when I walked in, I felt sort of invited almost to like pick up anything, do stuff with it right on the walls. I look around, I'm like, oh, this is a place I can do stuff in and do stuff with, which is yes. very cool. There is this openness and trust as well. So like inviting people to create things and be flexible and be open to start playing with ideas. That's one of the key ideas of the, the space, I will say. This is exactly what I came to the D-School to do. But first, I wanted to get to know a little bit about how Kershat began teaching people to create their own rituals. What got you interested in studying rituals? So what got me into rituals is really my um, work around transitions. So I did my PhD on transitions, and I, I was particularly interested in how design can help people who go through transitions. And what, what I mean by transitions is when people move to a new city, move to get a new job or leave a job, all kinds of transitions. And it's, it's also a little bit personal because I moved from like Turkey to United States and it, it was a very relevant topic to study for me. I was so excited to know that you study transitions because when I first thought of the whole virtual first remote work thing, I thought, oh, we've just all gone through a massive transition. transition. It's a whole soci- like society level transition. So with my research, what I found out is that r- people use rituals to navigate change and adopt new environments, new roles, um, new routines. And that key insight really stuck with me. And after a couple of years, after my PhD, I really wanted to pick up on that key insight. And I proposed this class to this school. It's called Ritual Design. And that was really the beginning of it. And it really received very good attention. Like we got maybe 80 students sign up for class. We stick to work life after that shift because we really saw that the need for meaningful work, meaningful relationships at work is very relevant. And we we want to double down on that idea. I was, as you were talking, I was thinking I have encountered tons of rituals in my life, participated in a ton, but haven't thought much about designing them. So I'm curious if you can talk about the ingredients of a ritual. One of them is really the intention. Like you need to almost elevate a moment with an intention. That's one of the key ingredients of ritual. There's intention again, like Casper pointed out. And the second one is the context. We call it trigger moment. Like what's the moment that this ritual will take place? So, um, and those moments are sometimes easier to spot, like transitions are easy or milestones, transitions, but sometimes they are not that obvious. And the third 
ingredient is the rituals experience. And this is where we rely on theater and the, the drama. Like every ritual has a beginning, middle and end. So there is this goes back to Aristotle, like this idea of in order to create a cohesive story, yeah, you need to start with the beginning and then like an inviting beginning so people can feel I can participate. And then you continue in increasing the intensity of that ritual experience. So there's the middle. In the Aristotle's case, uh, like goes back to that, you have the climax of the ritual, right? And then you calm down. So there's the ending of the ritual. I was wondering if you could give me an example of a ritual that you've designed or that you've come across or even that you have done personally that can really help with a transition big or small? One area that we really think rituals can bring a difference is onboarding. When a new employee joins, that's like a prime time for giving people a warm welcome, show your values. So there is one uh, very well-known example now, but I think we also featured in the book. It's called Crash the Desk. And the idea was when a new employee joins, it's awkward, right? You don't know your teammates and people don't have an excuse to talk to you. So to break that ice, when the employee joins, they, they have a fresh desk, it's empty. What if people bring their favorite objects, like the other team members bring their favorite objects to that desk and then you give almost like a treasure hunt challenge for the new employee. Go find out who owns what and then newbie goes out and then talks to all the team members. Oh, is this yours? Is this yours? And then because it's their favorite object, maybe they brought them from their overseas vacation. Then all of a sudden they are talking about uh, that person's vacation. And then it really is uh, lowering the barrier for connecting to employees. I love this ritual because it accomplishes a lot with a little. And it lets you go deep in a quick, no-pressure way. It's also easy to do remotely in a shared document. So one thing that we may, we may be missing in virtual world is this um, sensory experience, like when you are in the same room, like in the same environment. But there are ways to hack it. <laughs> so there is one story, one ritual that actually comes from Priya Parker. Uh, she suggested this ritual to a Jewish organization Trifate, and it's called Smell Together. So, Smell Together. The idea behind the ritual is everyone's working remotely at their computers, and you tell them to bring something like a cinnamon stick. And one way to do that is ask everyone to smell something at the same time. And you can have different variations of this. Maybe smell is one, but you can also uh, order the same food for everyone, then they can eat at the same time. And one of the key ideas with rituals is the synchronicity anyways, right? Like if we can create that synchronicity through these kind of little hacks, it, it's, it will still work. Remember Mike, my coworker from Toronto, whose strict morning rituals and Magic the Gathering sessions helped him to be more creative? Now that those rituals aren't available, he's got a problem to solve. When we were in office, even though we only had an hour for lunch, we might go to a bar, we might play magic cards, we might do board games. Even though we only had one hour, it was really easy to just kind of go with the flow and do what everyone in the group was feeling. 
in today's day and age, even though we set up time for quote unquote nonlinear thinking, it's always centered around a brainstorm or trying to accomplish a task. So I guess my question is, in this world of working around people's schedules and all these virtual rituals, how are we able to bake in the nature of spontaneity that the office had while still being respectful of everyone's schedule and time in a virtual first environment? When I brought up Mike, Kershat told me about a ritual invented by folks at the design agency IDEO that speaks to Mike's question. They call it Variety Hour. And you invite all the team members to share one little thing that they are passionate about. And it can be how they make latte, like maybe they are, they are a barista in their <laughs> other life, or yoga, or it can be any team members share a skill that they know, and then that can create more spontaneity in the, in the, in the work life. Or it can trigger more conversations that can open up more spontaneity. Maybe the spontaneity is not there at the beginning, but it's a way to open up those, those conversations. I also wanted Kershat to think of a ritual for something that a lot of people have experienced in remote work over the past two years, a kind of dull tiredness, or in some cases, burnout. Like we have people who are just like, oh, I'm just, I'm just tired. I'm fatigued from the past two years, and I'm fatigued from being on a screen. We're all fatigued. How do we just, un, you know, I don't know, soothe some of that feeling of fatigue and burnout? First, he showed me a box of props he brings to help students start playing around with ideas. We intentionally bring lots of props. Um, and there are some of them are from my own house, from my kids' toys. <laughs> and the idea is really to uh, encourage playfulness and um, playing with different sounds and uh, things. Um, for instance, today I brought uh, my daughter's, um, what do you call this, I will say? Maraca. Maraca. Yeah. And then I brought a shoe box because boxes are always good. I have a, another toy. I don't know the name, but um, it, people can uh, see different... Um, it's you know. a kaleidoscope. My daughter has the exact same one, oh, and she loves it. And the idea here is, again, it has sound, it has visual, have a couple of more ingredients. One of them is they are sensory. They touch on, we have, yeah, five, six senses, right? Um, so we encourage students to think about these, what senses we can use in this ritual. Is it visual? Is it sound? Is it taste? Um, so props, in a way, uh, help them to get to those different senses. Then we got to work. When do you feel that sense of burnout in your work life? Well, I know for me, one way that it looks is I'm in a meeting, maybe I've been in it for 40 minutes, and I just start to really space out. It's like, oh, like... I just don't know if I can go to any other meetings today. That's one way. Another way that it can come out for me is, and I'm not happy to admit it, but internal irritation, like where I'm slacking or I'm trying to get something done. Those are some of the, in a way, moments that we can design around, like we can create a ritual around, like maybe the, that feeling of irritation or feeling of checking out. 
We talked about changing the conversation during mild checkouts, or if it's a bigger checkout, taking the experience offline to have a more physical and visual type of ritual. Like fun idea can be, they can write down all the negative emotions they are feeling. And we can first maybe set the rules like, okay, this will be a reflective activity bring a box and a couple of post-its or something like that. And then you almost guide them through this relief ritual or, or like, like a level set ritual. First, ask them what's bothering you at the moment. Like you can write down all the emotions that you are feeling negative, conflicted, um, everything, and you don't have to share. Now you put down all your emotions, you explicate all of them. Let's do something with them. Kershat took the green post-it notes and started scribbling words on them. Then he crumpled the paper into small little balls. Crushed those emotions. And I think that's more, it's like a cathartic experience. Physically crushing them and then now put them in a box uh, or something. Uh, and then after that, um, we need to almost close, make those emotions go away. So maybe they will put this in a trash or something. Um, if people are up to it, you can, they can even burn them, <laughs> right? <laughs> now we put all these bad emotions. Let's build up. Uh, let's um, now build up more positive emotions or feelings. And then maybe that's where you turn to people and come up with, like share where they feel seen where they feel comfortable then then you turn the conversation into positivity and at the end maybe people can share tips with each other so like, what can we do together so that might be one way to <laughs> one way to um, approach this i loved this idea because it gets at what we're missing in remote work Things like human interaction, changing our energy levels, physical touch, and even just switching body positions. So to start, so the following minutes, week, I tried it with I would my love team. For you to think a little bit about a part of your work that feels really good, and just kind of flesh it out. A Once little we bit. had written on our post-its and, and torn them up or burned them, one of my teammates, Berenice, had some insights. Feeling really good at work are that it's very psychologically safe. I think that it's a place where you are not expected to know everything. And when you are expected to, you know, to tackle on something, you always know that you have the ability to ask for help. And there's always someone who is going to jump in and, and help you figure things out. And the other thing that is really great is that people in my team just are so talented and competent and gifted that they really challenged me to tackle projects at a higher difficulty and a higher altitude, which is both challenging but exciting because they forced me to give, well, give me something bigger. So now I have to kind of like, okay, now I jump into the higher place to set something up for them. And that is true. That's awesome, Berenice. Thank you. Even though it was our first time doing the ritual, I was amazed at the before and after. People entered the Zoom room looking, honestly, pretty humdrum, but they left much more awake and happy. I felt lighter the whole day. 
So to summarize, first, rituals are part of what makes us human. They're especially important for navigating big transitions and highlighting what's most meaningful to us. Second, rituals are especially important at work. With a little intention, attention, and repetition, we can design rituals that help us connect. To start designing your remote work ritual, try a ritual spotting exercise. See if you can find any moments in your day where you're trying to feel more connected or grounded. Maybe it's the first few minutes of a meeting or when you sit down at your desk. And remember to keep it lightweight, fun, and bite-sized so you'll stick to it. You can find Casper's work and his book, The Power of Ritual, on his website, caspertk.com. You'll find Kershat and his latest book, Rituals for Virtual Meetings, at kershatoshank.com. That's all for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. Remotely Curious is brought to you by Dropbox and our friends at Cosmic Standard. Our hardworking producers are Beauty Nazaro, Samaya Adams, Angela Johnston, and Asia Pilar Simpson. Our editor is Nina Gensler-Debs. Our technical director is Jacob Winnick. And our executive producer is Eliza Smith. Our designers are April Rosenstock and Feliz Camille Tolentino. Our theme song is composed by Doug Stewart. And I'm your host, Tiffany Jones-Brown. And for more tips on working remotely, check out the Dropbox Virtual First Toolkit at remotely-curious.com. When I first read about the bringing, you know, mom to Zoom, I legitimately teared up. It was just cute overload. It's just so sweet. I mean, so it makes sweet me cry I t- every time. Oh, my. I can't. I can't with the moms. It's too sweet. <laughs>